All right, now, um, uh, let me ask you a question. We're in 1 Samuel. We've been there for a number of weeks. I won't give you a free coffee, but I will say God bless you. If you can tell me thus far through 1 Samuel 1 to 7, the two main male characters. Somebody? Samuel? Not Saul. We haven't gotten to Saul yet. Eli, right, yeah. Uh, Saul is next week. Eli and Samuel, the two male characters. Of course, Hannah has been so uh, uh, prominent as well. But the two male characters, Eli and Samuel. Now, we're moving into a new section of the book. For Samuel 8 and following is the transfer uh, from leadership of the judges to a king. And that's where Saul comes in. But uh, and uh, I want to tell you the truth as I'm praying, preparing what to teach. I could easily have skipped over these verses and gotten right to the whole drama of Saul being chosen to be king and the ramifications of that. And you'll see that there's some serious ramifications of Saul being king. But uh, I couldn't get away from 1 Samuel 8, 1 and 2. And I want to pause there and talk to you about Eli's sons and Samuel's sons. Two fathers, four sons, and I might say one big heartbreak, one big sadness. Uh, Because um, this matter of our children in adulthood, I want to address Um, the sons of Eli did not turn out well. Uh, That's a euphemism for they turned out to be bad dudes. The sons of Samuel did not turn out well. Maybe not as blatantly sinful as Eli's sons, but certainly sons that may have brought an embarrassment to uh, Samuel. Uh, This really, you know, you could skip over this. Um, No, we're not going to skip over it. This is a tough message uh, because how it will resonate with a number of parents, particularly parents more my age, whose kids and sons have grown to adulthood, This is a hard message for us. I want to not dodge it, however, and explain it away or ignore it. I want to face it head on. So pray for me um, because uh, this is not an easy message to deliver. Now let's look at it. Uh, Now Harold has already... Uh, surveyed Eli's sons. Not a pretty scene. Uh, Let's look back at that. Uh, Turn back, please. And I hope you do have your Bibles today. If you have it on uh, cell phone, that's okay. But uh, it's a little bit harder to turn the pages. Uh, So uh, I will be having you turning pages. So if you are, uh, just don't... um, Slip over into words with friends. 
Facebook, email, or all of the above. Turn to 1 Samuel 2 and uh, verse 12. I'll be skipping through various verses in 2 and 3 to survey the sad scene of Eli's sons. I won't read all these, I won't read through the entire texts. You've already heard that message, but I will hit the summary statements, which are not pretty. 1 Samuel 2.12. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. It's an idiom in Hebrew. They were sons of Belial, sons of Belial, which basically means they were bad guys, sons of Belial. They were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Eli was the high priest. Eli was also a judge. Eli was the human leader of the people of Israel at this time. And his sons not only turn out bad, they turn out really bad. They did not know the Lord. You can read about the details of that, but I'll just hit the highlights of it. Skip down to verse 17. Thus the sin of the young man was very, men were very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. They were offering sacrifices and messing around with women who had gathered there. What a horrible, horrible scene to see and... It must have broken the heart of Eli. Look down at verse 22. Now, Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil doings from all the people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of Israel spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? It's bad enough that you're messing around with these women, but you're also messing around with the Lord's work and offering sacrifices when you've got no business doing it. You're polluting those sacrifices with your behavior. Eli's appealing to them, but they would not listen to the voice of their father. It goes on. Skip down to verse 24. Did I say 24? 34. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And some of us who don't have any feeling in our hearts and only approach the Word of God as theologians, removed from the very pain of human existence, say, well, they got what they deserved. Tell that to the father whose heart is breaking Yeah, got what they deserved. He probably theologically wouldn't disagree with you. But he wouldn't say an amen to that in a cold, you know, amen. Uh, They got what they deserved. They're my sons. Chapter 3, chapter 3, verse uh, 13. God says, and I declare that I'm about to punish his house forever, 
for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Now, wait a minute. That's often misunderstood. When we get to the fact, from the fact that the kids were bad, to why? Too easily I have seen people go to the idea that Eli was a permissive father. He was a permissive father. He he didn't have a strong hand with his sons. So they were out of control and he didn't forbid them. I just read you some texts that say that he did try to stop them. That's oftentimes forgotten. By by quoting that verse, verse 13 of chapter 3, says he did not restrain them. He tried to restrain them and he could not. Oh, sons, you're breaking the heart of God. You're breaking my heart. This is not good what you're doing. He's trying to stop them and he couldn't restrain them. So don't be too quick to say, well, his sons turned out bad because he didn't have a tough enough hand with them. We don't know what happened in the early days. We don't know as he was raising Hophni and Phinehas and uh, how he taught them and how he restrained them and how he disciplined. We know that later when they turned out bad, he's trying to restrain them and he can't. So don't be too quick to condemn him as a young father. We don't know what happened when he was a young father. All we know is as he grew older and the boys grew older, it became evident that they were stinkers. They they were absolute stinkers. That's how much we know. And maybe it was too late to restrain them then. Okay, So, so that's one thing. Now, secondly, Samuel's sons. I, I, I mean, Samuel was called of God, and instead of Hophni and Phinehas being Eli's successors, God's choice for Eli's successor is Samuel. One of the earliest Bible stories I heard as a Christian, I didn't hear any Bible stories growing up, But I I remember hearing, speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. You know, uh, you know, God's speaking to Samuel and he goes to Eli and Eli doesn't understand, goes the second time and, and, and he goes the third time and Eli says, you hear that voice again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. And little boy says, speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. Love that story. The real successor of Eli is not Hophni and Phinehas. As a matter of fact, a few weeks ago, we saw that Hophni and Phinehas die on the same day as they bring the, quote, good luck charm, unquote, that didn't prove to bring good luck, the ark. Well, here it is. Go sick them, God, with the ark. No, no, no. Not only is Israel defeated, and, is, uh, and the Philistines capture the ark. But Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, die on that day. And then we have the sad story of his widow giving birth and dying in, in birth. It, it, it's a sad, sad story. And old Eli probably can't even stand up 
anymore. He hears it and his heart just breaks and he falls over and, and dies. Sad story. Samuel. Look at 1 Samuel 8, my friends. Easy to skip over this, but we're not going to skip over it. We're going to face it. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel. The name of his second, Abijah. Joel means the Lord is God. Uh, uh, Abijah, Abiyahu, means my father is the Lord. Oh, boy. Samuel had great... What, what, what did you name your kids? Some people name their kids, you know, after Bible characters or in hopes. Our first one was, uh, we believe the Lord had given him uh, to us, so we named him Yonatan, Yonathan, Jonathan, the Lord is given. Uh, 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 the next one was Amy, which is French for love or beloved. Uh, and so... Uh, uh, Amy uh, was our beloved. The third one was Linda, because we lived on Linda Lane. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll tell them. Got less theological with each one. But no, she was named after her mama, though we put a Y in there instead of an I. So Linda, with an I, it's pronounced Linda, and with a Y, it's pronounced Linda. So get it right. <laughs> And I think those of you who know a language, I think it's called Espanol, Linda. Linda, pretty. She was pretty on the inside and pretty on the outside. I remember going to Uruguay. And here I'm preaching in Montevideo. And I'm preaching in Inglés. <laughs> and there was an interrupter, excuse me, an interpreter. <laughs> interpreting my message into Espanol. And uh, I'm the preacher, and my wife is along. Mi esposa is along with me. And, and the preacher's the main star, right? But then I mentioned mi esposa habla español. No, no hablo español. No, 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 I don't speak Spanish. At the door, you know, you stand at the door. No, not at our door because it's 18 doors. You know, John can't sit all, stand all over the place. But if there's one door, the preacher's at the back with his wife. And all of these ladies, are they coming up to me? No, they're coming to mi esposa. Talking her ears off. And she is the star of the show. Yeah, yes. And, and I, I remember we'd pull out our, 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 show pictures of our kids. Linda, Linda Preciosa, Linda Preciosa. And I'm learning these Spanish words. Linda, pretty. Yeah, so there's, there's names. Okay, good. So, well, they started off well. He named them good names. My father is the Lord. The Lord is God. And he appointed them judges in Beersheba, probably because he's up in the central part of Israel, and he needs help judging down in the lower part of Israel, so he appoints his son's judges in Beersheba in the south. And then the sad words, 
yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted judgment. Justice, what? Samuel? I can almost understand it looks like Eli's living on a memory. Eli is like, but Samuel, speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. Samuel's following the Lord, and his kids, his sons go bad. What's worse, messing around with women at the tabernacle or taking brides and perverted justice? It's not a matter of which is bad, which is worse. Yeah, no, um, it turned out bad. Now, was the father to blame? This is what I want to talk to you folks. I got 20 minutes. And John preached on 78 verses this morning. So he's going to go over time. So let me, I, I'm, I want to spend some time on this. You know, he took the pulpit at five of, and I think that was planned. Did you see that? I said, I don't ever remember him getting the pulpit this early. Okay, so, yeah, yeah. So, um was the father to blame. Hophni, uh, excuse me, Eli didn't restrain his sons. Yes, he did. Text says he did. What contributed to Samuel's sons? It's easy to do the following. Look at the previous verses. Chapter 7. Look there, please. Look there. At the end of chapter 7, Verse 15, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mitzpah, and he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there, and there he also judged Israel, and he built there an altar to the Lord. Samuel's a busy guy. He's a circuit rider, going to Bethel, going to Gilgal, going to Mitzpah, going to Ramah. Then going to Bethel, going to Gilgal, going to Mitzvah, going to Ramah. Are you getting the idea of what type of ministry Samuel had? He was busy. Could it be that his busyness was to blame we who are in ministry serving the Lord, serving the Lord, hardly ever home, serving the Lord? How about your family? And sometimes we can tend the flock and not tend our own family. You preachers, budding preachers out there, listen up, listen up. But I don't know that for sure, that his sons turned out to be take bribes and, uh, you know, take payoffs to make decisions to favor people, taking payoffs, that's that's rotten. Was it because of Samuel so busy? It's easy to say that. That Samuel was so busy, he neglected their upbringing. The text does not say that. Maybe we don't know who to blame. And that's something to remember 
with your adult kids. And it's something for you to remember, some of you self-righteous judges of the earth. When you look at somebody else's kids and so piously say, wonder what they did that their kids turned out so bad. You self-righteous judge of all the earth, self-appointed. Eli tried to restrain his kids, couldn't. And it actually says it's Samuel in his older age that he appointed these men, these sons as judges. There's nothing that's said about their upbringing. How do you know that Samuel was to blame for their behavior? We don't know. And because we don't know, it's best not to pronounce. I want to talk to you about some of you, some of us, who've had adult kids, shall I say euphemistically, who have not turned out the way we wanted them to turn out. I'll say it euphemistically. I want to talk to you about that. And I don't want to just talk to you. I want to talk to us. Number one, self-righteous judges, don't condemn them. You don't know. And particularly in a home where there's one child that grows up to follow the Lord and one who doesn't. Are you going to say that you didn't raise the boy right or didn't raise the girl right, but you raised the boy right and you raised the girl right? Why don't you lay off and not be judges of other people's kids and other kids' parents? Secondly, and this is even harder, don't blame yourself. What did we do wrong? Maybe if we had them in Christian school those two years that we had them in public school. uh, Maybe if we had homeschooled them, they wouldn't. Maybe quit blaming yourself. I know kids that were homeschooled have gone bad. I know kids that went to Christian school have gone bad. I know kids that have gone to public school that's grown up to love the Lord for all of their life. Stop beating yourself up. It's okay, Varner. That's your human advice. You got any scripture there? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Ezekiel chapter 18. Listen to it. Israel, I don't want you to say anymore that the fathers ate um, sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. You say, well, what's that? Let me put it in South Carolinian. <laughs> Green persimmons. When I was a boy, you know, I fell for two things. I fell for that, what was it, not, not, not the skunk, the skink. You sit and you wait for this. Right. Snipes. Snipes. Yeah, I fell for that. Snipe hunting. Some boys took me out and said, Varner, wait here. And when the snipe comes, grab him. And I waited for three hours. 
And I finally found my way back into the camp where they were laughing. <laughs> fell for the snipe joke. I also fell for the green persimmons. Billy, those are really good. Grab it, bite into it, you'll love it. Okay. <laughs> The fathers ate sour grapes. The children's teeth are set on eggs. You're too close to see that, aren't you? You got to sit. Eat green persimmons. My mouth turned inside out. And my friends. <laughs> Billy fell again. You never did that. To mean to your friends like that. It's in the Bible. Except it's not green persimmons, it's sour grapes. The fathers ate sour grapes and his mouth was turned inside out. No, his boys, his kid's mouth was turned inside out. What? If he ate the sour grapes, it's his mouth that's going to turn outside, out, uh, inside out. Not his sons. Ezekiel says that. Don't say it anymore in Israel. The soul that sins it shall die. The one who dies for his sins is not the father for the son's sins. It's the son. It's the son that eats sour grapes, not the father that eats sour grapes and his son's uh, teeth are set on edge. What does that mean? And he goes through three generations. He says there's a godly father and he's got ungodly sons. Are his sons going to automatically turn out godly because of a godly father? Eh. And those ungodly sons, they have sons. Are the ungodly sons uh, going to produce ungodly grandsons? Eh, not necessarily. Well, then they're ungodly. Then therefore their sons are going to be ungodly. <clears throat> no, no. Uh, eating sour grapes is not going to cause your sons to uh, have their uh, mouths turn inside out. The soul that sins is the one who dies. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father. Nor, <clears throat> excuse me. The father suffer for the iniquity of the son. Did you hear that? I didn't say it. Ezekiel said it. Son's uh, marked by iniquity, so the father is punished. No. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. And you can go and read that whole chapter and, and see the tale of the three generations. The son is not credited with the righteousness of the father, but neither is the father punished for the unrighteousness of the son. I lived this. I think I've told you before. My dad was an alcoholic, smoked two packs of cigarettes a day, would go on drunken binges, and so therefore I'm going to be that. No. The grace of God came in there, and I didn't suffer for the iniquity of my father. And don't you ever say that because you have a problem with drink, you got it from your father. 
You smoke, well, the reason you smoke is because you got it from your father. You commit a sin, oh, it's not me, it's my father. Don't you dare say that. You didn't get it from your father or get it from your mother. Well, we have struggles in our marriage. Well, look at my parents. They have struggles in their marriage, so therefore we... It's unscriptural. Don't you say it. Don't you say it. Well, therefore, you had godly parents. You're going to turn out godly. No, not necessarily. The soul that sends it shall die. What I'm saying is stop blaming the parents for some bad things that happened to their kids. I posted this yesterday on last night on Facebook, and one of my old seminary buddies said this. Remember, Saul had Jonathan and David had Absalom. Duh. We're going to see that Saul was a real stinker. He wasn't reigning very long before Samuel says, you're no longer going to be king. Saul was a bad guy. He had Jonathan. Jonathan loved the Lord and was a bosom buddy with David and even went against his father when his father was trying to kill David. Jonathan was a good and godly man with an ungodly father. And David, the king, had Absalom. And then Solomon, who wasn't a nice little Sunday school boy either. Was David punished because of Absalom's sin or later Solomon's sin? Of course not. When Absalom went bad, David's heart was broken. And he cried out, oh, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Would that I had died for you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. That you didn't cause his sin doesn't mean you don't have a broken heart. But don't add to that by blaming yourself. Don't add to that by blaming yourself. Don't you blame that father because Absalom went bad. Well, if he had, well, if he had, how do you know? Well, if he had done this and he had done that, well, how do you know? How do you know? Who appointed you God? I heard somebody say one time, you, you can understand a man, look at his adult sons. Where do you see that in the Bible? Where do you see that in the Bible? Look at his adult son. Ugh. You see Jonathan, his adult son, great guy. Does it tell you something about Saul? You see Absalom, bad guy, tell you something about David? No. Saul that sins it shall die. So you stop blaming that father or that, those parents. And you sit and grieve with them if they've got an adult. You know what? When you've got an adult child that doesn't follow in the ways of the Lord, I'm speaking euphemistically, you've got enough pain 
and enough emotional pain to go through without some self-righteous person adding to it. Okay? We, I speak plural here, we who have adult, an adult child that has not fulfilled what all we hope for them spiritually, we've got enough pain. Please don't judge us further and try to make us feel guiltier. We're fighting guilt ourselves, even though we shouldn't. We're fighting guilt ourselves. Don't, don't add to that. So stop blaming yourself. Keep praying. Don't give up. The game's not over yet. And there have been wayward adult children who've come back to the Lord. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep living. Stop preaching. I mean, stop preaching to them. Uh, They probably, that's probably not going to be the way that they come to return to the Lord by your preachings. Include them in your family gatherings. Don't shut them out. Don't compromise your faith. I'm not, of course not. But don't don't shut them out. And uh, know there's others who stand with you and pray and praying with you that you'll have the grace to continue to be a mom and a pop like you should be and pray for them as well. Let's stand for closing prayer. Again, if there's anybody that needs prayer for anything related to this message or not, please come forward. If you need to be uh, interviewed and uh, give your testimony, we have brothers and sisters at the front who can do that. Let's pray. Father, the human heart is, is, is beyond our full comprehension. The whole matter of election is beyond our comprehension. We don't fully comprehend it. The whole matter of blame and, and credit. Lord, about the time that we look at our kids and say, boy, didn't we do a good job? Aren't we to be congratulated that we get slammed with the news that some of them are not walking in the ways that we had hoped. We pray for each parent here who struggles with that. May they stop punishing themselves. May they not lose the joy of the Lord. May they continue to walk in obedience, reflecting Christ to all of their family, no matter what the age of those children might be. And bring them back, Lord. We know the broken heart of a father who looked probably every morning out the window for that prodigal son. And then he was so happy when he saw him returning that he ran to meet him. May that happen. Lord, may that happen in the lives of many a father and mother today. We pray this in our Savior's name. Amen.